Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 128. Today's big Bible question, is once saved, always saved, a true and biblical teaching? So this is going to be Perseverance of the Saints, part three. So hello, friends, and happy Tuesday to you. I realize with some chagrin that I missed wishing you a happy Star Wars Day yesterday, but I can wish you a happy Cinco de Mayo today. Today's Bible readings include Numbers 11 and 12, Psalms 49, Isaiah 2, and Hebrews 10, which is our focus passage of the day. We're going to finish up our discussion, at least for now, of the perseverance of the saints, or once saved, always saved, which basically deals with the question, can a Christian lose their salvation? Now, we began this discussion on episode number 121. You can go back and check that out. Part two was episode 124. Today is the finale, uh, essentially the return of the Jedi of our discussion of the perseverance of the saints. If you want to look up the old episodes, just go to our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. If you have a Bible question you would like us to cover in an upcoming episode, just leave it as a comment on our website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. And while you're at it, why not give us a great review on iTunes, as Mr. Courtney Johnson did this week. Thank you, Brother Courtney. God bless you and God bless your family. We appreciate your kindness and your encouragement. So, perseverance of the saints. Can a Christian lose their salvation? This is a very important theological question, but it's a very, very, very important practical pastoring and real-life spirituality question to consider especially in the West. The fact is that there are many in the United States and other Western countries that proclaim Jesus with their lips, but deny him with their lifestyle, as the old quote goes. In other words, there are Christians in name only. Perhaps this is because they made a one-time decision eons ago in their childhood, or perhaps it's because they grew up in the church or grew up with a very religious mom or in a very religious area or what have you. In the same way that almost everybody that grows up in the state of Alabama, my home state, is either an Alabama or fan or an Auburn football fan, whether you like, know, or care about football at all, many people born into religious families or churchy areas consider themselves Christians. However, it needs to be understood that Jesus did not uh, consider being a follower of his something that you were born into or something that you naturally inherit from your family or your parents or whatever, or even a decision that you make in the heat of the moment when the choir is on the third verse of Just As I Am and the preacher is pleading for sinners to come and you walk the aisle simply because you got caught up in the moment. Generally, when Jesus called people, he told them to follow him. And he meant that literally, not euphemistically or metaphorically. Matthew left his money and his tax collecting business and literally began to follow Jesus around all, all over the country. Peter, James, John, Andrew... They all abandoned their fishing business, maybe even abandoned their boats right where they were, and they followed Jesus. Mary Magdalene and other ladies that took care of Jesus and the disciples left their lives behind and literally traveled around the country with him, hanging on his every word and serving him and the other disciples actively and taking care of them. So the Jesus way, however, is not usually how modern churches have treated following Jesus over the past few decades. Instead, many churches, pastors, and evangelists have preached for decisions, which is when you kind of give a message and an invitation at the end of the message and invite people, usually with a strong emotional appeal, to give their lives to Jesus, 
usually by praying and asking him into your heart. I think there's some good things about proclaiming the good news in a way where somebody should be led to make a decision. But the fact is that most Western churches don't follow the pattern of Jesus and the disciples when proclaiming the gospel, and that seems to have led many more people, it's led to many more people making decisions for Christ than actually becoming genuine followers of Jesus. So as we discussed in episode 124, this is not a terribly big surprise because Jesus shows us in Mark chapter 4 in the parable of the sower that many of the people who receive the word of God, even some who receive it joyfully and appear to really grow at first, they don't ultimately go on to be saved. They believe for a moment in time, maybe even for a while, but their belief is not actually a saving belief in Jesus because, as he says, they have no root and they don't persevere in following him. I have a bunch of flowers that I planted from seed recently. Um, I grew them uh, uh, diligently in the house, watering them, checking on them, all that kind of stuff. They looked like they were doing really well in the house, so I went and put them in the garden outside and uh, even though they look like they shot up really well, they looked green and healthy, a lot of them aren't surviving. Well, what's the problem? Well, it's a root problem. They don't have roots. And we Christians, we can make a boom, flash moment decision. People, I mean, not Christians, people can make a flash in the pan sort of decision. Oh, I'm going to go up. I'm going to go tell the pastor I want to be a Christian or or whatever. But people cannot persevere in following Jesus because It wasn't a genuine, wholehearted, lifetime kind of decision. They don't have a root. Now, Hebrews 2, 3, 6, and 10 all contain some pretty strong warnings to followers of Jesus or people who identify as followers of Jesus, urging them not to quit, but to persevere and continue on in the faith. Hebrews 10 contains a particularly sober warning for any who would backslide. Now, backslide is a fancy old school sort of religious term that basically means moving backwards away from Jesus and his teaching. So let's read Hebrews 10, starting with verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Since the law has only a shadow of the good things to come and not the reality itself of those things, it can never perfect the worshipers by the same sacrifices they continually offer year after year. Otherwise, wouldn't they have stopped being offered? Since the worshipers, purified once and for all, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in the sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins year after year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said... You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it's written about me in the scroll. I've come to do your will, God. After he says above, you did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Every priest stands day after day, ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this, for after he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. 
and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. Now, when there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. Anyone who disregarded the law of Moses died without mercy based on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think one will deserve who has trampled on the Son of God, who is regarded as profane the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know the one who has said, Vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember the earlier days when, after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and in other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. So some see in these verses a very strong warning against falling away, a warning that true Christians can and do fall away, and when they do, they are potentially lost forever unless they quickly turn back and follow Jesus. Others see a strong exhortation to hold on to faith and find great assurance in other Bible passages that genuinely saved Christians won't lose their salvation because they are held secure not by their own strength, but by the power of God. Seminary professor and author Wayne Grudem addresses this question head-on in his most excellent systematic theology book, which is one of my favorite books of all time, and he makes a convincing case to believe that a genuinely saved Christian will not be lost, and I wholeheartedly agree with him. So this is Dr. Grudem. There are many passages that teach those who are truly born again, who are genuinely Christians, will continue in the Christian life until death and will then go to be with Christ in heaven. Jesus says in John six thirty eight through 40 I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Here Jesus says that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. He says that he will raise that person up at the last day, which in this context of believing in the Son and having eternal life clearly means that Jesus will raise that person up to eternal life with him, not just raise him up to be judged and condemned. It seems hard to avoid the conclusion that everyone who truly believes in Jesus will remain a Christian up to the day of final resurrection into the blessings of life in the presence of God. 
Moreover, this text emphasized that Jesus does the will of the Father, which is that he should lose nothing of all that he has given me. John 6.39 Once again, those given to the Son by the Father will not be lost. Another passage emphasizing this truth is John 10.27-29, in which Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Here, Jesus says that those who follow him, those who are his sheep, are given eternal life. He further says that no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Now, some have objected to this, that even though no one else can take Christians out of Christ's hands, we might remove ourselves from Christ's hands, But that seems to be pedantic quibbling quibbling over words. Does not, quote, no one also include the person who is in Christ's hand. Moreover, we know that our own hearts are far from trustworthy. Therefore, if the possibility remains that we could remove ourselves from Christ's hands, the passage would hardly give the assurance that Jesus intends by it. But more importantly, the most forceful part of this passage is they shall never perish. The Greek construction there is especially emphatic and might be even translated more explicitly, and they shall certainly not perish forever. This emphasizes that those who are Jesus' sheep and who follow him and to whom he has given eternal life shall never lose their salvation or be separated from Christ. They shall never perish. Now, Grudem further elaborates on the perseverance part of the perseverance of the saints doctrine here, saying, while scripture repeatedly emphasizes that those who are truly born again will persevere to the end and will certainly have eternal life in heaven with God, there are other passages that speak of the necessity of continuing in faith throughout life. They make us realize that what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.5 is true, namely, that God does not guard us apart from our faith, but by working through our faith so that he enables us to continue to believe in him. In this way, those who continue to trust in Christ gain assurance that God is working in them and guarding them. One example of this kind of passage is John eight thirty one through 32 which says, Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus here is giving a warning that one evidence of genuine faith is continuing in his word. That is, continuing to believe what he says and living a life of obedience to his commands. Similarly, Jesus says he who endures to the end will be saved in Matthew 10.22 as a means of warning people not to fall away in times of persecution. Finally, Dr. Grudem concludes with a pastoral call to hold fast and hold firm to the gospel and to Jesus. At this point, in terms of pastoral care with those who have strayed away from their Christian profession, we should realize that Calvinists and Arminians, in other words, those who believe in the perseverance of the saints and those who think that Christians can lose their salvation, will both counsel a backslider in the same exact way. According to the Arminian, this person was a Christian at one time, but is no longer a Christian. According to the Calvinists, such a person never really was a Christian in the first place and is not one now. But in both cases, the biblical counsel given would be the same. You do not appear to be a Christian now. You must repent of your sins and trust in Christ for your salvation. Though the Calvinist and Arminian would differ on their interpretation of the previous history, they would agree exactly on what should be done in the present. But here we see why the phrase eternal security can be quite misleading. In some evangelical churches, instead of teaching the full and balanced presentation of 
the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, pastors have sometimes taught a watered-down version, which in effect tells people that all who have once made any sort of profession of faith and been baptized are eternally secure. The result is that some people who are not genuinely converted at all may come forward at the end of an evangelistic sermon to profess faith in Christ and may be baptized shortly after that, but then they leave the fellowship of the church and live a life no different from the one they lived before they gained this, quote, eternal security. In this way, people are given false assurance and are being cruelly deceived into thinking that they are going to heaven when in fact they are not. And so that's Dr. Grudem. If you want to read more about that from Grudem, you can certainly get his book, Systematic Theology, or you can come to the BibleReadingPodcast.com page for this episode, episode 128, and read some more because I put some more of what he said in there. The bottom line is this. It is possible, I think, to make a profession of faith in Jesus and it be one without root, without meaning. And that person can appear to be a Christian and fall away. But I think all who turn to Jesus, turning away from their sins, and in wholehearted faith being drawn by him, turn to him, and cry out to him for salvation, I believe all those people who do that have security in his goodness, eternal security from his word and from his power. If I could fumble away the ball of my salvation, I would do it. If I could uh, loosen or let go of God, I probably will. I have weak moments, but praise God that he doesn't let go of me. So I do believe in eternal security. Um, I do believe that all those who have genuine wholehearted faith in Jesus and turn away from their sins and turn to him and cry out to him for salvation, believing the good news that he died for our sins on the cross. All those who do that will be saved and they will be preserved to the very end. I believe that. But I also believe in accordance with these warning passages in Hebrews 2, 3, 6, and 10 and other places in the Bible, that there are many who will appear to make a profession of faith. They will appear to show evidence of faith. You might even see some good works in their life, but on the internal, in their real relationship with God, they are not saved. They are a, a plant with no root, essentially. And when we see that, I don't think it needs to shake our faith. It's the exact thing Jesus said that will happen. And regardless of where you find yourself today, I want to exhort you and I want to exert exhort me to stand firm in Jesus, believing the gospel, holding fast to the confidence we have in God to save us. If you are backsliding or straying or running away from God, turn back now, believe the gospel, repent and follow Jesus. Amen. Let's read Numbers chapter 12 and 13, verse 1. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They said, does the Lord only speak through Moses? Does he not also speak through us? And the Lord heard it. Moses was a very humble man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance to the tent, and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, Listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. 
He sees the form of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the Lord's anger burned against them, and he left. As the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam's skin suddenly became diseased, resembling snow. When Aaron turned toward her, he saw that she was diseased and said to Moses, My Lord, please don't hold it against us, this sin we've so foolishly committed. Please don't let her be like a dead baby whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, God, please heal her. The Lord answered Moses, If her father had merely spit in her face, wouldn't she remain in disgrace for seven days? Let her be confined outside the camp for seven days. After that, she may be brought back in. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was brought back in. After that, the people set out from Hazroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. Chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses, Send men to scout out the land of Canaan. I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them for each of their ancestral tribes. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the Lord's command. All the men were leaders in Israel. These were their names. Shemua, son of Zechor, from the tribe of Reuben. Shaphat, son of Hori, from the tribe of Simeon. Caleb, son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Judah. Egal, son of Joseph, from the tribe of Issachar. Hoshea, son of Nun, from the tribe of Ephraim. Palti, son of Raphu, from the tribe of Benjamin. Gadiel, son of Sodi, from the tribe of Zebulon. Gadi, son of Susi, from the tribe of Manasseh, from the tribe of Joseph. Amiel, son of Gamale, from the tribe of Dan. Sethur, son of Michael, from the tribe of Asher. Nachbif, son of Vopshi, from the tribe of Maphtali. Geuel, son of Machai, from the tribe of Gad. These were the names of the men Moses sent to scout out the land. And Moses renamed Hoshea, son of Nun, Joshua. When Moses sent them to scout out the land of Canaan, he told them, Go up this way to the Negev, then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in encampments or fortifications? Is the land fertile or unproductive? Are there trees in it or not? Be courageous. Bring back some fruit from the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and scouted out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rehob near the entrance to Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahaman, Sheshai, and Talmai the descendants of Anak were living. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they came to Eskal Valley, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men. They also took some pomegranates and figs. That place was called Eshkal Valley because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting out the land. The men brought back to Moses, Aaron, in the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for them in the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and here's some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hethites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, And the Canaanites lived by the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go up now and take possession of the land, because we can certainly conquer it. But the men who had gone up with him responded, We can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore it is one that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. 
We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. To ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. Psalm chapter 49 verse 1. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who inhabit the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. I turn my ear to a proverb. I explain my riddle with a liar. Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. They trust in their wealth and boast of their abundant riches, yet these cannot redeem a person or pay his ransom to God, since the price of redeeming him is too costly. One should forever stop trying so that he may live forever and not see the pit. For one can see that the wise die, the foolish and stupid also pass away. Then they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their permanent homes, their dwellings from generation to generation. Though they have named estates after themselves, but despite his assets, mankind will not last. He is like the animals that perish. This is the way of those who are arrogant and of their followers who approve of their words, Selah. Like sheep, they are headed for Sheol. Death will shepherd them. The upright will rule over them in the morning, and their form will waste away in Sheol. For... Far from their lofty abode, but God will redeem me from the power of Sheol, for he will take me. Selah. Do not be afraid when a person gets rich, when the wealth of his house increases, for when he dies he will take nothing at all. His wealth will not follow him down, though he blesses himself during his lifetime, and you are acclaimed when you do well from yourself, he will go to the generation of his ancestors. They will never see the light. Mankind with his assets, but without understanding, is like the animals that perish. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 1. The vision that Isaiah son of Amoz saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, Come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. For instruction will go out of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nations will not take up sword against nation, and they will never again train for war. House of Jacob, come, let's walk in the Lord's light. For you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because they are full of divination from the east and of fortune tellers like the Philistines. They are in league with foreigners. Their land is full of silver and gold, and there's no limit to their treasures. Their land is full of horses, and there's no limit to their chariots. Their land is full of worthless idols. They worship the work of their hands, what their fingers have made, so humanity is brought low, and each person is humbled. Do not forgive them. Go into the rocks and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor. The pride of mankind will be humbled, and human loftiness will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. For a day belonging to the Lord of armies is coming against all that is proud and lofty. Against all that is lifted up, it will be humbled. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up. Against all the oaks of Bashan. Against all the high mountains. Against all the lofty hills. Against every high tower. Against every fortified wall against every ship of Tarshish, and against every splendid sea vessel. The pride of mankind will be brought low, and human loftiness will be humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day. The worthless idols will vanish completely. People will go into caves and the rocks and holes in the ground, away from the terror of the Lord, 
and from his majestic splendor when he rises to terrify the earth. On that day, people will throw their worthless idols of silver and gold, which they made to worship, to the moles and the bats. They will go into the caves of the rocks and the crevices in the cliffs away from the terror of the Lord and from his majestic splendor when he rises to terrify the earth. Put no more trust in a mere human who has only the breath in his nostrils. What is he really worth? Amen. There is coming a day when the Lord alone will be exalted in all the earth. May his name be praised. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.